All right, good morning. How are you? You doing good? Come on, smile back at me if you're doing good, all right? If you're not doing good, you're in a good place. Love having you, good seeing you, happy Palm Sunday. This is uh, traditionally on the church calendar where we talk about uh, the arrival of Jesus. The arrival of Jesus victoriously into the city of Jerusalem. We'll talk about that in just a moment. We want to turn to Mark 11, that's where we're going to head. Now, this is not a trick question, bear with me. If this Sunday is Palm Sunday, then next Sunday is Easter Sunday, right? I thought you would get that if you're new to church. Those two Sundays always follow one another. And we're very excited to host Easter Sunday. Last year, we were all in our jammies watching from the couch. It did not like that at all. This year, listen, listen, we, I want you to show up this year, okay? So we have two years worth of celebrating to do in one Sunday next week, next week all right? I want you to show up with two years of bottled up worship and passion in your heart next Sunday. All right, now, let me pause here for a moment, because before we get to Resurrection Sunday, we have Good Friday, and we have two Good Friday services on, on Friday night. Believe it or not, Good Friday's on a Friday this year. What are the odds? So Friday night at 6 p.m. and 8 p.m. here at New Life North, we will have two services. Uh, so we have children's ministry at 6 p.m., if you come at 8 p.m. and your kids can be in the service with you. If you've never been to a Good Friday service, let me just say this. Easter Sunday morning will mean more to you if you will come to the Good Friday service. Because there is no empty tomb unless there was first a cross. And Good Friday is when we focus our attention on the finished work, the powerful, miraculous, redemptive work of the cross. At the end of that night, we're going to light candles and then we're going to blow those candles out and walk out in silence. It's really one of the most moving, powerful times in our church. And as we walk out into the parking lot, you get in your car, and at, at my home, we call it Holy Saturday. So we kind of take it easy on Saturday, anticipating that when we come back here on Sunday morning, that there is going to be an eruption of praise. There is going to be an outburst, an outpouring of praise that starts on Good Friday, lingers through the day on Holy Saturday, and then on Resurrection Sunday is when we let the roof come off this place, worshiping the fact that the tomb is empty and Christ is alive. So come to Good Friday, 6 p.m. and 8 p.m., and then here at North, we have three services on Easter Sunday. So notice that the time is changing. It's 8 a.m., 10 a.m., and noon. So let me just say a couple of things about that. As many of you that can, Please come to the 8 a.m. or the noon service. Now, if 10 a.m. is the best time for your family, no, no problem. Don't feel guilty walking in at 10 a.m., all right? However, some of you are already up anyway. I'm an early riser. Come to the 8 a.m., and then afterwards, the restaurants are going to be wide open for you. You'll be the first in line for all the brunches, all right? Or come to the noon service, if you can, because all three services are going to be really full. We're going to add as many seats as we possibly can. We've added seats this morning. We've added about 300 more seats this morning. We're going to add more seats, probably another 1,000 seats for next weekend. But even then, all the services will be full. Now, if you get here late, that is not my fault. <laughs> Somebody say, man, I'm, Pastor Brady didn't make you late. So if that means, though, that you may have to sit in the overflow service. And we'll have overflow in the theater and in the student's chapel. So if you show up late and the service is already full, can I just ask you to have a remarkable attitude about it? Knowing that your seat is filled with somebody that needs to hear the good news, all right? 
All right, but get here early. My point is, get here about five or ten minutes early, and you'll get a seat in this room, all right? All right, is that good news? Will you pray with me? Will you invite your friends and family to come be a part of Good Friday and Easter Sunday? We have 18 Easter services at eight locations next weekend, so pray for our team. New Life Midtown launched today. They're, they're launching right now. We're so grateful for that. They have three Easter services next week as well. All right, I said all that to give you time to turn to Mark 11. Mark 11, Jesus is about to make a triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. And for hundreds of years, the Jewish people have waited and anticipated, prayed, fasted, and longed for their Messiah to arrive. They knew all the prophecies of the Hebrew Testament, and this is the day. The Messiah is coming, and the whole city of Jerusalem was buzzing about it. Jesus, who didn't spend a lot of time in Jerusalem, he spent most of his time north at the Sea of Galilee, he was coming into the city. He was coming to the temple courts. He was going to establish his rule and reign forever, and they were ready for him. They had palm trees. I say we got the, the only three palm leaves in the whole state of Colorado, right here with us on the front row. I looked all over town yesterday, could not find a single palm tree anywhere in Colorado. Now, let me just stop here for a moment. This past week, Pam and I took our kids to Disney. And I don't know how many of you have seen the commercials on television for Disney. They always show this five or six-year-old little girl with a princess gown on, her face is glowing, she's got a sparkler in her hand, she's going through Disney, living an eight-hour fairy tale experience, everything is magical, it is awesome. If you've ever been to Disney, you know that that lasted for about 20 minutes. Because that same five-year-old little girl, right after they spent $10 for chicken nuggets at lunch, had a meltdown for the entire afternoon. In fact, we've been to Disney many times, and it's become a bit of a practice for our family. I'm sorry to say this to you. I feel bad about telling you this. But from 1 p.m. till about 5 p.m., we make it a point to find the greatest meltdowns that are happening in Disney. The same little girl that woke up with high hopes of being the princess for a day. And by the way, it's the most expensive day ever. It's not the most magical day ever. It's the most expensive day ever. Take it from me, I'm the one that pays for it. And so the same little girl who showed up at Disney wanting to be princess for a day now has, she, in, fact, in fact, one afternoon this past week, we were driving home about 5 p.m. We were on a bus. The bus has taken us from the park back to our hotel, and this little girl had, she had ice cream on the side of her face, several different flavors, like a Neapolitan schmear. <laughs> her little crown was like twisted about halfway on her head. Her dress was all kind of, it was all over her body, it was like wrinkled, and she was crashed out in her dad's lap with some kind of sugary candy in her hand. And I thought to myself, why doesn't Disney show that picture? <clears throat> and save those parents 300 bucks that day. <laughs> and see, this is what's happening in the city of Jerusalem. They thought that Jesus was about to bring Disney to them, but Jesus was actually showing up to turn over some tables. So let's look at this story, because I want you to catch that Jesus is about to surprise them. Jesus is about to unsettle them. I don't know if you know this, but Palm Sunday is more than just a celebration of Jesus walking into the city. Palm Sunday is the idea that Jesus has come to reorient us, to greatly disturb us in some cases. 
Mark chapter 11, he says, when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it, and many people spread their cloaks, which is their, their, their outerwear, you know, their jackets, and they spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields, probably date palms, and those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Come on, shout it with me. Hosanna! Now what that means is, God, you save us. God, save us. God has come to finally save us. That's what they were shouting. And it says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're quoting back the ancient prophecies. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. So they were reminding themselves that the prophets had foretold that the Messiah would come from the rule and reign of King David. And Jesus fit all those criteria. Jesus' family could be traced back to their Davidic roots. They knew that Jesus had all the possibilities. Could he be the Messiah? Hosanna in the highest heaven. They were remembering the prophecies of Zechariah chapter 9, which we were preaching through the book of Zechariah a couple weeks ago. And I skipped over this because I wanted to share it with you now. But everyone in that crowd would have known the prophecies of Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. That's what they were doing when Jesus came in. They were shouting, see, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, not only a donkey, but a young donkey. Now this is really something for the Jewish people to consider because horses were for war, but donkeys were more for peaceful journeys. Think about an SUV compared to a Prius, okay? So how do you want to get there? Do you want to get there and nobody bother you or you want to take your time? That's the Prius, okay? That's the safe, slow way to get there, good for the environment. The SUV is when you want to get there quick and nobody bother you, okay? That's, that's why I drive the SUV, all right? You can have your Prius, I'm driving the SUV. Horses were for war, donkeys were more of the Prius. So when you saw a king arriving to your city, if you peered over the, over the walls and that king was coming on a donkey, he was proclaiming something to you. I have come in peace. I have come not for war, but for peace. So right away, this was unsettling to the Jewish people because many of them were hoping that Jesus would have arrived with an army. They were under Roman oppression and they were longing for freedom. They were saying, Jesus, why didn't you show up? Don't show up on a donkey. Show up with war paint. Show up with a battle cry. Show up with your army. Set us free. So I'm going to ask you a question today, and I don't want you to answer this question quickly. But I want you to write it down, or remember it at least. And I want you to spend this holy week that's ahead of us answering a very important question. Okay, it's very critical. Palm Sunday makes you answer this question. Is the Jesus we want the Jesus we need? Now write this down and consider what I'm asking. Is the Jesus that you want, is that really the Jesus we need? And Jesus is about to confront this in this Palm Sunday story. Is the Jesus we want really the Jesus we need? So a few years ago, I'm, I'm, in, uh, I'm in the UK, and I, I found myself in this chapel, this really ornate chapel, and all around the walls of this chapel were about 50 paintings 
of, of, of the nativity scene from various countries, about 50 different countries. And so I, I, I was with a couple of guys and we were walking, looking at each of these countries. And what struck us as we're looking at each of these paintings of the nativity, the, the birth of Jesus, is that each of these countries had painted Jesus to look like them. That it reflecting their country, their culture, their values. For example, look at this one from Guatemala. I've been to Guatemala. I love Guatemala. I love the Guatemalan people. This is painted in Guatemala by a Guatemalan. And it looks like that Mary and Joseph are Guatemalans. And that Jesus is a little Guatemalan baby, right? That's what it looks like. That's, in their mind, that's what Jesus would have looked like to them. Or look at this one from uh, India. I love this one from India. To them, that's what the nativity would have looked like. Indian baby, Indian dress. Jesus would have been born reflecting their culture. Or China, this is one from China I always like too. I think this is great. China would have said this is what Jesus looks like. Jesus would have reflected our culture, looked like us. And then I love this one from Uganda. This is what the Ugandan people said. This is Jesus born into our culture, looking like us. But my favorite one is the one from Australia, you know, because obviously kangaroos were present at the birth of Jesus. If you have read the story, if you know the Bible, then you know kangaroos were obviously there. See, the point of all these paintings is I'm walking along this chapel looking at each of these paintings and I realize that there's something happening in all of us, that we all have to confront something in our heart along the way. We cannot shape Jesus into our image, but Jesus intends to shape us into his image. In every culture, we try to make Jesus reflect us. And by the way, the painting that your grandmother has in her house, the one with the blue-eyed, blonde-haired Jesus, Jesus is not Western European either. He was not from Norway. And he did not speak English. Did y'all know that? Jesus did not speak English. And he did not have blonde hair and blue eyes. The one my grandmother has that same photo. And we're all, we're all guilty of this, right? Of wanting Jesus to look like us. But actually Jesus has come to do something else. Jesus intends to shape us into his image. Jesus has come to unsettle us, to disturb us. In other words, Jesus is not a celebrity to be admired, but a Christ to be followed. And this is what Jesus has come to confront, and he's doing it first in the house of God. So notice now, when he gets there, he doesn't go and confront the Romans. In fact, there's no conversation that we know of where Jesus got into an argument with the Romans. Do you know that? Almost all of his conversations were with church people. And that's exactly where he heads when he comes to Jerusalem. To their surprise, he goes to the temple. He says, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts. And he began driving out those who were buying and selling there. So right away, he's causing a problem. I thought he rode in on a donkey. I mean, I thought he came in peace. He did come in peace until he got to the church. You see, all of us want to believe that the problem's out there, that all the evil is out there. But actually, Jesus says, let me first deal with what's going on here before I'm going to deal with the evil out there. And the church has always been like reluctant to let Jesus deal with their issues. God, could you go solve all those evil issues before you come and mess with my hair? Before you turn over any tables in my life? So he, say, so he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise 
through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he says, is this not written? My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And listen to this. Listen to how the church people responded. Wait just a minute, they said. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this, and right away, now listen, just a few minutes before, an hour before, they had been waving palm branches. Hosanna! God save us! As long as you save us in the way I want to be saved. God save me in the way I want to be saved. But if you try to save me in a way that I'm not wanting to be saved, my attitude toward you can change quickly. I want you to notice these are the same people that had thrown their expensive garments and on the road. The same people that waved palm branches. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law, leaders of the church, pastors, began looking for a way to kill him. I mean, this is only a few hours. Now, I, I just want you to stop here for a moment. It's, it's really easy to be self-righteous at this point. I can feel the self-righteousness just oozing. Those evil people, I would never do that to Jesus. I would never say to Jesus that he could not change me. I would never say to Jesus that he can't change my traditions or challenge my presumptions or challenge my ideas. So I'm going to stop here for a moment because this is going to get a little, little tricky. I'm about to get nosy, okay? When was the last time God told you no? When was the last time you were so overcome with conviction that you repented and changed? If it's been a long time, you're not following Jesus. Because Jesus does come to comfort us. He does come to strengthen us. But he also comes to turn over some tables. And this surprised the church people. They thought, well, why aren't you dealing with the Romans first, and then you can come mess with the church? I mean, all that evil cultural stuff that's happening, why won't he just go deal with that first and leave the church alone? Actually, Jesus turned the model upside down. He said, before I can ever bring hope and glory and goodness into the world, I need a pure church. I need a church that's committed to prayer. I need a church that's committed to me. Or there is no hope for the world. And the chief priests began looking way for, to kill him, for they feared him, listen to this, because the whole crowd had become amazed at his teaching. Their insecurities had, had caused them to want to kill him. Now, let me just pause here for a moment because over the last year, I've, I have been so, could, I could not wait for this passage of Scripture to come because the last year I've heard, and this is no exaggeration, I've had a hundred people use this story as an excuse for their unrighteous anger this past year. Well, now, Pastor Brady, you know, it's okay to be angry sometimes. You know, Jesus turned over those tables. Well, that doesn't mean you've got to hate your neighbor. That's not why Jesus was mad. And so this story is not an excuse for every single angry action you've ever had. Well, you know, I can be angry sometimes. Jesus took that whip out. Well, he was whipping church people. You know who he was, who he was upset with was the church. He wasn't upset with your unsaved neighbor. So this is the difference. Anger says this can change and it must change. It's possible to change this and it needs to change. That's a righteous anger. To see something in the, that needs to change, and you know you can change. Hatred says, I want my enemies to be humiliated or destroyed. Jesus did not come to humiliate them. Jesus came to change them. 
And there's the difference between righteous anger and unrighteous angry, uh, anger. So Jesus was angry for very good reasons. Because the people there had made it difficult to find God. Do you know what the outer courts were? This is where all this buying and selling was going on. It's like the lobby of our church, okay? This is an example. So when you walk in the lobby of the church today, it's a big lobby. We're grateful to have a big lobby. But there's not a lot of boundaries out there. There's not a lot of order. You can kind of walk around, do what you want. You can explore. You can meet new people, walk around. But when you come in here, there's more order. There's a place for you to sit. There's, a, there's a more order. There, there, so think of that as the outer court. In the outer court of the Jewish second temple, that's where Gentiles were allowed to go. They weren't allowed to come into the Holy of Holies. But Gentiles, people who were exploring God, people who were searching for God, were allowed to come into the outer courts. That's why Jesus said, this is a place of prayer for, say it with me, all nations. All nations weren't allowed into the inner te temple or the Holy of Holies. But all nations were allowed into the outer court. And that's what frustrated Jesus, that the church had made it difficult for lost people to find Jesus. Do you know what one of the greatest concerns I have as a pastor? The one of the primary concerns I have. I do not want to stand before God one day and he said, Brady, you made it really hard for people to find me. It's actually what causes God's anger to come out. It's what causes Jesus' anger to burst forth. When we make it difficult for people to find God. And so what was happening is people were coming with their sacrifices like a lamb or a bird. And these people were standing out in the outer courts examining their sacrifices. Oh, well, I see a little spot right here. So that bird's not going to go well. Look, you need to buy my bird. And so they would walk them over. This bird's spotless. This bird's perfect. Your bird, not so much. My bird, good. Your bird, bad. Now, and the money that you're going to use to buy my bird well, we really don't accept that kind of money, but if you want to change that money, I'll charge you a little fee to exchange your money for my money so you can buy my bird for your bird. And you think, how, see, I made that really confusing. Let's say that was your first day at church. That's what was happening. Can you imagine showing up at church for the very first time? You're, you're, you're seeking God. You're hungry for God. You're wanting to explore the idea of faith. And your first encounter with the people of God is confusing, it's troubling, it's manipulative. And that's what made Jesus mad. And that's why when he walked into the outer courts and the people who were hungry for him, the people who were seeking him, they were being manipulated, they were being robbed, they were being lied to. That's why he took a whip out and that's why he turned over the tables. So. When we welcome Jesus into our lives, he will upend some tables. He's going to come to us from time to time. And this week, I, 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 before I ever preach to you, I have preached this a hundred times to myself this week. And this week, I did a lot of self-reflection. Father in heaven, have I become so self-righteous in my own beliefs that I no longer allow you to confront me, to convict me, to challenge me, to change me if necessary. 
And please, I'm just asking you, do not get in, go through a long pattern of your life where you don't pray that prayer on a regular basis. Father in heaven, look into the outer courts of my life. More importantly, look into the most holy places of my life. You see, here's our goal at the end of our lives. Our goal at the end of our lives should be that our outward appearance is a reflection of our inner reality. In other words, those two things look the same. The holiness of our exterior is a reflection of the holiness of our interior. That what's going on on the outside, our worship, our prayer, our conversations, our relationships, are a reflection of a holy work that's happening deep inside of us. And the only way that can happen is to get into a constant rhythm and a constant pattern of allowing God to turn over some tables to disturb us. Now, I've shared this prayer with you before, but I'm going to share more of it today. It's a prayer from a guy named Sir Francis Drake. He, there's a, a lot known about him, but he, he was really a thug, a pirate, a slave trader. Not a good guy. But later in his life, something happened, a near-death experience, something happened in him, and a conversion happened in him. He came face to face with God, and later in his life, he began to write these beautiful prayers. In fact, the prayer that I'm going to show you right now is actually on a placard on the wall in my office. I see this prayer almost every day of my life. And listen to this prayer from this guy who had had a dark past, who knew what it meant for God to change him because he had a radical conversion experience from slave trader to worshiper. That's a pretty radical conversion. And listen to what he says. He says, disturb us. Oh, Lord. He's praying for God to disturb him. When was the last time you prayed something that bold? Father in heaven, convict me today. Father in heaven, rattle my cages today. Mess up my hair. Unsettle my thoughts. Convict me. He says, disturb us, Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. I love this next phrase. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we've allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. And this is what's on the wall of my office. Disturb us, O Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas, where storms will show your mastery and we're losing sight of land, we shall find the stars. That's the kind of life, the robust life that God's calling you to. God's not calling you to a boring, methodical, impersonal relationship with him. Actually, the Father in heaven is using Palm Sunday to remind us that when Jesus rode into that city, he was coming to radically revolutionize the human condition and the human soul. And I want to tell you something today. Christianity is a terrible hobby. It wasn't meant to be a hobby. It wasn't meant to be something we could kind of sprinkle onto our lives because we like holy things, we just don't want to be holy. But we like being around holy things. Christianity is a terrible hobby. When you follow Jesus, it is a radical conversion. It is taking up your cross. It is asking for the power of the Holy Spirit. It marks you. It shapes you. It changes you. It radically revolutionizes the way you think, the way you talk. It is a 
miracle that happens in your heart when you say yes to following Jesus. It's a, just a terrible hobby. And I'm just saying to you as your pastor, I don't know how many years I have left, but every year I have, every day I left, have left, I am going to follow him with all of my heart, all of my soul, with all of my imagination. And I'm going to allow him to greatly disturb me from time to time. Not every day, but when he needs it. I'm giving him permission. Disturb us, O oh Lord. Change us. Shape us. Use us. Can you just close your eyes for a moment? Let's, let's prepare our hearts. I want you to take a moment here on this Palm Sunday. As we are, this is the launch of Holy Week. Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Resurrection Sunday, all in front of us this week. And I want you to walk through this week with a holy imagination, with something new bubbling up inside of you. I don't want this to be just a, another week in your life. I want this to be a week that changes you, that shapes you. I want it to be a week that marks you. I want it to be something that reintroduces you to the person of Jesus. And the question we ask at the beginning of this message is, is the Jesus we want, is he the Jesus that we need? So this morning, would you just say with me, Father, I want the Jesus that I need. So I lay aside my, my desires, I lay aside my conditions, and I choose to follow the resurrected Christ, the Christ that is alive today, sitting at the right hand of the Father. I choose today to worship and to follow the Jesus that I need. The Jesus that I need, because that's the Jesus that can change me. Maybe you're watching online or you're sitting in the room today and you've never prayed a prayer to welcome this Jesus into your life. And I want to lead you in a prayer today. I want, you to, I want it to be easy for you to find Jesus today. So Father in heaven, we need you. If this is you in the room today, pray this prayer with me. Father, I need you. I need Jesus. I cannot save myself. I cannot do it. I've tried and I have failed. Father in heaven, I thank you that Jesus is the one who came for me, who died for me, and out of his marvelous love and grace has saved me. So I say yes today to Jesus. I pray you'd fill me with the Holy Spirit and help me to follow him all the days of my life. Now for all the believers in the room, would you just say, Father, Lord, disturb us, turn over our tables, Establish your rule and reign in my life. Would you stand with me this morning? And as you stand, only a few of us have palm leaves, but we all have hands. So this morning, would you just lift your hands? Say, Father in heaven, Hosanna. God save us. God, the God who saves has come for us. And we welcome Jesus. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna. God save us. God who has come to save us. Father, we cry out to you today. We ask that you would come and do holy work now. As we sing this song, let it be more than a song. Let it be a prophetic prayer that echoes from your people into the heavenly realms. And we pray today that Hosanna, God, Jesus who saves, would come 
into New Life Church, into Colorado Springs, into El Paso County. Lord, we declare over our city, we declare over our state, we declare over our broken nation, Hosanna. God is the one who saves us. Jesus is the one who has come. Hosanna in the highest. Let's sing this song and then we're going to come to the table of the Lord.
Go ahead and grab your elements as we get ready to receive the Lord's Supper together. The transforming work of Jesus begins with us, his people. He's not only thinking about us and wanting us to share in his holiness, he's thinking about the people our lives are meant to touch. And in order for those things to happen, he has to do a deep work in our lives. We have to invite his conviction, his scrutiny. We have to say, yes, he's not gonna force this upon us. And so this morning, as we come to the table, of course, we're saying yes to his love, his kindness, his mercy, all the things that make us feel warm and cozy on the inside. But we're also saying yes to his refining fire in our lives. We're also inviting him into our lives to point out some tables that have been set up that have nothing to do with him. And he wants to in his love and in his righteous passion overturn those. Church, will you join me this morning in simply saying, okay, Jesus, I'm a little nervous about this. This is a little uncomfortable and unnerving for me, but I say yes anyway to you, God. Will you deal with this part of my life? I give you permission into this closet of my life, this place that isn't of you, isn't reflecting you. God, I'm willing for you to do business with me this morning. And I say, yes, if that's you this morning, before you, we partake of the supper, will you just say yes to the Lord out loud or in your heart? Will you say yes? Okay, God, do your work in us. Jesus was so serious about showing us his love and doing this deep work that he gave his very life for us. His body was broken, scarred, marred for us. Let's take the bread together. And now the cup, the cup of the perfect covenant he made with us. Church, let's sing Hosanna together. God, save us. We need your work. We need your work in our lives. Only you can save, God. Only you can save, Jesus.
God alone can save, hey Ben? And for us to welcome saving, we have to get very honest about what we need saving from, right? Today was a day to pray bold, risky prayers about transformation in our lives. Pastor Brady, thank you for the amazing message today. It was so of the spirit and one I think we're all gonna be processing and talking about this week. Church, I wanna invite you to come forward for prayer. Our prayer team's gonna be at the altar. Um, these are good people up here who you can just come and say, here's my need, will you pray over me? And the answer will be yes, whatever it is. Or you can come forward and just say, I, I just need prayer. Will you just pray for me? You don't have to divulge anything. Also, if you're new today, or let's say in the last few weeks, uh, we have a place in the lobby called Connect Central. We have a gift for you. We just wanna get to know you, get to know your story and help you get plugged into the, the life of this amazing place called New Life. So may you be filled to the full with the joy and the peace that only comes from Jesus. So much so that you will overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Go in peace church and see you next week for Easter.